You're listening to episode 397 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max, how are you? Doing well, David. Doing well. Yeah, it looks like we've got a good show tonight. Um, I have to admit that the first story is probably one of the creepiest looking pictures I've seen in a long time. <laughs> so, but we've got a really good show. Um, we got the first autonomous Black Hawk helicopter flight. A little drone that can carry its weight in math. Verizon enlists universities to study drones in 5G. A bill to ban government use of DJI drones in Wisconsin. Then the AV is going to use unmanned underwater vehicles. Cycloidal rotors for evertal propulsion. Why couldn't they just say paddle wheels? That, that's kind of what they look like. Yeah, that's a better. That's the best description I've I've seen so far. So we'll we'll talk about that. Well, our first story comes from a safe, reliable, uninhabited first autonomous Black Hawk helicopter flight, DARPA's S seventy or UH sixty A helicopter is flown optionally piloted and. I have to admit the photographs of it, um, especially the side profile where there's nobody in it, was a bit creepy. That's the first impression I had as well, David, in looking at this article and seeing that, that lead photo. And just to see a helicopter in the air with all this open space inside and no occupants, it's oh, it, was a, it was a little bit unnerving. But, you know, one of the things I like about this is that apparently it can, because it's optionally piloted, it can switch from one mode to the other, apparently by throwing a switch. It's as simple as that. With that switch, the S-70 goes from piloted to unpiloted, and it autonomously completes a pre-flight check, starts its engine, spins up its rotors, and takes off with no crew aboard. This is with the Alias system. You gotta love acronyms. Yep. This is the Aircrew Labor in Cockpit Automation System, alias. And, of course, it has a lot of sensors, onboard sensors, because it's autonomous, that provide real-time data about obstacles. And uh, what they did in this demonstration, this this first uh, flight, was to fly this uh, helicopter through a simulated cityscape. So... Apparently, it didn't crash into any simulated <laughs> skyscrapers, yeah, skyscrapers or anything, and um, good test. It maneuvers and lands, and then a pilot approached the flight deck, flipped a switch, and taxied the S-70 back down the runway. The other the part about this, Max, is, you know, I've used to seeing, like, F-16s and F-4s. No low, no live operators aboard. But it just seemed really different with the helicopter, you know. And we know about K-Maxes, but they look like they're supposed to be unmanned. This is something that you're used to seeing at least two people up in the front of the aircraft, and there's nobody there. You look right through one cockpit window all the way through to the other side. It is kind of different. And we do have a video of this uh, flight and that'll be in the show notes, so you can just visit the UAVdigest.com and uh, watch the video. It's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. And again, I, I think that the, 
you know, the optionally piloted thing is uh, is kind of a neat feature. I mean, you know, as you were sort of alluding to, it's it's one thing to design a piloted aircraft or design an unpiloted aircraft, but one that can be either or, uh, it, it's fascinating to me. So let's talk about lifting your own weight. A tiny little DJI drone smuggled its own weight and drugs over the U.S. border wall. Now, we've always talked about lifting capacity of UASs. In this case, I Beth is the, was the, um, the payload of choice. Now, the U.S. Border Patrol observed a DJI Mini 2, uh, which is, of course, uh, quite small. And this comes, or this happened last October, actually. Um, but there's a, a current aspect to the story. But in any event, last October, they spotted the drone flying over the, the border fence, the 25-foot-high border fence. So apparently they took off after it. The uh, Border Patrol observed it landing in a parking lot, after which a Mercedes pulled up, apparently to retrieve it. Uh, but an agent approached and grabbed the drone first, and what they found this 249-gram DJI Mini 2 carrying was 259 grams of methamphetamine. And for all of us who are still back in normal measurements, that's 0.57 of a pound. So it's a half a pound, but... Um, normal measurements... Well, you know, okay. For all of the people who um, are going to complain that I'm complaining about metrics, you know, just just send an email to David at the UAVdigest.com. I'll take I'll answer <laughs> answer any of their things, but it's a half a pound. But I got to I, I just curious what a half a pound of methamphetamine is on the current market. I mean, it's a very inexpensive way to fly a very valuable payload. I wonder if this hasn't been done many, many, many times before, and this is the, the first one that, that was observed because, yeah, you're right, David. I think also in, in some places, uh, the, uh, the developed area on either side of the wall is pretty extensive so that to go from um, the Mexican side over to the U.S. side and land, it's not very far. It's just you know a hop over the wall, so uh, it, it it probably happens. It probably happens quite a bit. But what's new now, I guess, is that the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, has obtained a warrant to search the drone. Apparently, since October, they haven't done that. Um, they want to look for evidence that might lead them to the pilot. Uh, I'm I don't know, David. I'm thinking that the pilot. Back in October is probably long gone and <laughs> nowhere, you know, not not identifiable. So I don't know if this is a if if the data that might come from the drone would be current enough to do anything with. Yeah, agreed. But it 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 is kind of it is surprising that they did not take that action sooner. There, I mean, for a warrant, there there could be some immediacy to it. Likewise. What side of the wall was it flown on? Was it 
flown by the Mexican side or the American side? Oh, yeah, side? where was the you pilot? Know, the where was the, I mean, where was the operator? So it, there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that could be answered by this. Well, you know, one of the questions that I have that's not answered is, what happens to the the guys in the Mercedes? Well, <laughs> doesn't, I, I, doesn't I would... Uh, well, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. It, yeah, it doesn't say, say well. what happened to that. Uh, the other thing, and this is noted in the article, or, or at least the question is noted in the article, which is that um, it's not clear if this warrant, this search warrant, asks DJI to provide information about the drone flight. So maybe they're just going to try to do forensics you know, on the on the SD card in the drone, on the card in the drone, or whether they intend to go to DJI looking for, uh, you know, any information that might have been transmitted to them, which which there probably isn't any because, I mean, even a criminal is smart enough to, uh, you know, cover their tracks, I think. Well, yeah. I, the other part about it is I would think that in order for that kind of operation to work, I would assume the criminals disabled the fe- geofencing right. on the drone. Yeah. I mean, so it, that really isn't... There's a lot more questions here that need to be... that You're left with more questions than answers, but it is kind of amazing that a small UAS was lifting its own weight. Mm. You know, that's, that's always something and be able to carry equivalent of its own weight in a rotorcraft or more than its own weight. So it's, it is a testament to the product. But let's talk about Verizon. Boy, you know, Max, it seems to me we talk about 5G all the time on that other show. And, and, and it's sort of slowly creeping into the, this show. In this case, this is from mobileworldlive.com. Verizon is working with two universities to develop and demonstrate use cases for low-latency networks, 5G drones. Verizon has deployed this 5G at two universities, California Institute of Technology and the Pennsylvania State University. And it's important to know that, well, there is more than one kind of 5G. In fact, there are there are several. It's not a a single spec. In this case, the 5G that Verizon deployed is millimeter wave 5G, really short wavelength stuff. So this has uh, extremely high possible data rates, but really low range and an inability to penetrate much of anything. Uh, However, Verizon is interested in these universities looking at uh, how can this capability of millimeter wave 5G be uh, employed by by drones? They divided it up between Caltech and Penn State. And Caltech is going to... Um, autonomous Systems and Technology Centers will trial use AI to interpret drone data. So the 5G network and a mobile edge computer program enable drones to respond to changing weather conditions in real time with wind tunnel simulations. So they're using the 5G to do real-time being able to modify behaviors of the drones due to changing weather conditions. And, Max, I have to admit that this is a very practical aspect for, um, especially for, like, drone delivery, to be able to react to changing climate, changing weather conditions and be able to react autonomously um, and so that the drone can learn to go around thunderstorms or land if necessary. 
And another feature of the millimeter wave 5G that I didn't mention, though, is, is that low latency characteristic. So that would suggest applications where the system has to react really, really fast. So for I, I think of um, autonomous automobiles, for example. When the pedestrian steps off the curb, um, you know, into the, the path, the vehicle needs to be able to react instantly. And there are probably lots of applications for drones where, yeah, there's, there's a sudden obstacle or weather condition or updraft or some condition that requires really fast reaction time. So uh, this will be interesting. Then Penn State is going to uh, look at ways to improve and automate manufacturing processes. So they've got kind of a different, a different focus Penn State is going to uh, look at connecting 3D printers to the 5G network and see how that can advance manufacturing technology. So uh, it'll be um, fascinating to watch what these uh, universities come up with. Yeah, and hopefully none of it interferes with um, airliners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, the next one was from wbay.com. Um, it's an interview with Senator Roger Roth on his bill to ban Chinese-made drones. Wisconsin State Senator Roger Roth represents Senate District 19. He co-sponsored the 2021 Assembly Bill, and it's relating to the restriction of state or local government acquisition, possession, and use of certain drones. It's amazing, Max, that this conversation has filtered down to the state level. Yeah, that's what uh, is got me kind of concerned uh, we'll have a link in the uh, in the show notes uh, to the text of the bill, which is actually not not that long, but in part, the bill states that uh, it would quote prohibit local government units and state agencies from acquiring or possessing or using drones manufactured or distributed by DJI. It calls them out specifically. Uh, but it goes on, or any entity that is determined by the U.S. Department of Justice to be subject to or vulnerable to extrajudicial di uh, direction from a foreign government. Under this bill, the, the government units and state agencies have to report to the Wisconsin Department of Justice about what, they, what drones they have, uh, what are their plans to dispose of them, uh, and some, some other information to be reported. Now, um, this is really interesting, but there is a political spin to this. In the article, the, um, the, the, or the, in the interview, the TV station reported that the state senator submitted seven bills since November 30th having to do with China. So it, it is not just drones, but basically I think it's promoting a by U.S. mentality instead of just a anti-DJI data privacy issue. It does have that tinge to it, uh, which is which is kind of kind of unfortunate. But I mean, otherwise, it just to me, it just doesn't seem like states should deal with issues like that. This seems more like a federal issue because I, I don't, you know, states don't have. I don't think the resources, certainly not the funding, uh, to study and examine 
every drone and make a determination about what they think about where the data is coming from and going to and all of that. Uh, this this really seems more like a, a federal level kind of an issue, wholly apart from the politics of it. But to also dovetail off of that, a state does have the right to tell its employees when, and organizations what they can and what they cannot buy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is there I mean, there is a legitimate thing here that one questions the motivation a little bit on it, but I mean, it is it's just legally justified if for a state senate or a state house representative, state government to tell state employees what they can and what they cannot buy. You know, they they may be able to shop at staples instead of office depot you know i mean those those regulations are set by the state government but so in that case yeah this is fine that they can just say we're not going to let you purchase dji and it really doesn't matter why it's made or where it's made it's just this is we've made this decision it's when you start elaborating on why you're doing it it sort of gets into the whole it's probably better better um, mitigated by the federal government. So, again, we should mention this is a bill. It hasn't been enacted yet. And as far as its status is concerned, it's been referred to the Committee on Criminal Justice and Public Safety. And, you know, when bills go to committee, sometimes they come out, sometimes they don't. And we'll see what happens with this one. Our next story is from MilitaryAerospace.com. Navy enhancing sensors, navigation, and autonomy capabilities for a glow for a glowing a growing fleet of unmanned submarines. Um, Max, you know more and more. I think this year is becoming the year of the word autonomy. What do you think? True, true. We do seem to be talking about that a lot. The capabilities are are increasing, and uh, here we have Huntington Ingalls Industries which I think does all kinds of marine submarine work. And yeah. uh, this is a, this Hunter, hunting to English shipbuilding has been around for years and it's, it's one of the prime Navy contractors for fleet ships, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, yeah, they're no, they're no, they're no slouch when it comes to building Naval weapons for the federal government. So maybe these are on, on the smaller end of the scale for Huntington Ingalls. These are underwater drones uh, for the Navy. They have been producing the, the Remus series uh, for, uh, for, I guess, for quite a while. Unmanned Underwater Vehicles, UUV. And uh, Remus stands for Remote Environmental Monitoring Units, the Remus drones. I love that name. Remus. Yeah, you don't, you don't, who was, who was Sean Connery in Hunt for Red October? Oh, oh, oh. oh God, that feels like that, that was just decades ago. I, well, it was decades ago, but, um, but my, yes. My, my brains don't go back decades. I mean, Hunt for Red October, it's, it's, it's Admiral Remus, but they can be launched from submarines and they can explore hazardous areas autonomously. The Navy is looking at small, medium, large, and extra-large UUVs, as well as uncrewed surface vessels and uncrewed aircraft. And, of course, what's the number one driving force is to be able to network 
air, land, and sea together autonomously to provide um, protection for the fleet. Hmm. Yeah, networking is, uh, we're, we're seeing that across um, a number of different, uh, you know, military groups who are uh, uh, trying to do that. The Air Force, of course, as well with the Loyal Wingman and, you know, other aircraft that are more like network hubs than anything else. But yeah, yeah that's that's where it's going. It's interesting. We talk, keep talking about autonomous, autonomy and networking. I mean, and, and while they seem very opposite to each other, they seem to be um, living coherently in this universe. Uh, Marcus Steinecke on Cycletech's cyclodial rotor concept. They should just call them paddle wheels. But I have to admit, I really thought this was cool. This is very fascinating. The cycloidal rotor concept. So, you know, imagine, I was thinking of like a rotating spool, but like a rotating paddle wheel also works really well. It's got airfoils in there. If you watch the video, the the airfoils angle can be, can be adjusted. What they've done is put one of these on all four corners, basically, of a vehicle, and it, it looks kind of like a Formula race car, except instead of tires, you've got these these rotors on each corner. But they're you know they're these have been around for kind of a while. They're being studied by several groups. Researchers at Texas A and M University have been studying this concept. And what we have here is this Austrian company Cyclotech. Last year conducted the first free flight of their technology demonstrator. So it was flown indoors. Uh, in kind of a caged area, but uh, th- th- this thing is kind of fascinating. You know, these these rotors sort of whir up and uh, develop lift. We talked about Cyclotech in episode three fifty, the Cyclone Cyclogyro drone, back in October of twenty twenty. The company is developing a propulsion system based on the Vol Schindel Sch- uh, Schneidel, well, the Voith Schneidel, Voith Schneider, Voith Schneidel. Oh. Okay, Schneider uh, propellers, which the company calls cyclo rotors. Um, the co- system combines the characteristics of helicopters and conventional propeller blades. So, um, the Cyclotech chief development officer, Marcus Steinecke, was said the company was founded in 2004. The fundamental advantage of the cyclo rotor is thrust can be directed 360 directions and around the axis of rotation. So, that's the really kind of interesting thing. Right, so so it these things don't pivot. I don't think it didn't look like it pivoted. No, they don't. I I don't. I just sort of looked at them like a side paddle wheeler, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. So how I guess through the adjustment of the airfoils within this this rotor, I guess that is how thrust is uh, directed in in different uh, different directions, or depending upon whether you. The, the pitch or and or the rotation of the rotors to provide, you know, to provide sort of like a tank tread. If one goes one direction, the other, the, the aircraft turns. So you have total control of the thrust direction and magnitude. I, so I, the other thing I was thinking, Max, is maybe if you slow the speed on one side, you speed up the other side, that's how you re- turn it, you know. But clearly there's no... I don't think there's any sort of roll in it or pitch. It's more, or it's more like our um, 
like what we have at the museum with the Kitty Hawk flyers. So it, it's the the pitches were changed by the thrust of the rotors. Well, this has some really significant implications for EV tolls, urban air mobility, and and all that. Uh, for one thing, it's pointed out as you transition from vertical to horizontal flight, you get a really smooth transition with this system. You're not rotating airfoils. You're not switching from the vertical lift mode to the pusher mode, anything like that. The mechanisms here are much, much simpler. It says you get near instantaneous thrust vector control. So that lets you maneuver this very precisely. So if you're, you know, landing at vertipads or, you know, limited space on the roof of a building or in a parking lot or something, you, you really have kind of precise control. This Max is probably the closest to a flying car we've yes. gotten yet. I think I mean, so. I, 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 I mean, you're basically all you're doing is replacing the wheels with rotors, which is kind of like every science fiction version of cars. You know, the wheels turn down and they suddenly become rotors or lift fans. Yeah, so, and they also say there's going to be total decoupling of the aircraft body altitude from the flight path is another game changer, meaning that basically you can stop quickly and go. The transition is very, you can do it very abruptly. I wonder what the efficiency of this is. You know, how much propulsive force you get per unit of electrical energy or, or something. I, I don't see anything here about that. So that that would be an interesting thing to know. I mean, do, do these require huge amounts of electrical power more though more so than you know other propulsion methods or less or or what? That would be uh, that would be interesting to know. What what also would be interesting, Max? I was thinking about this when I was reading the article. Was wonder if they could be self charging batteries? If you have it sitting on the ground and and it could just windmill. Ah. It could use it, those bro, those those rotors could become windmills to, generators to, to become generators to gen, generate the power back to the the batteries. Yeah, it, it, this is a very very interesting concept. It is. It is. So we got a video of the week, Max. Mm. Um, everybody likes watching SpaceX rockets because I think partly we want to watch it go boom. Then part of it oh, we wants no, to watch. No. <laughs> we want part of it. We wants, want to watch it go um, up successfully. And but this was kind of cool because I and we had Charles Bolden, who was the former director of NASA and a four-time shuttle astronaut. And his comment was he loves watching SpaceX rockets come back down and land on the ground, and just finds it phenomenal. This is a great way to see both the takeoff and the landing. And I have to admit, I, it is kind of amazing watching that thing come back down and just land. It really is. And this all was captured with a, with a drone. And of you know, all of the uh, SpaceX landings, uh, whether it be the boosters or, in this case, the first stage of the Falcon 9, um, a, a lot of times the... The, the landing video is not very clear or it's it's not it's not very crisp well especially when they're landing on the drone the drone ship and, yeah and the barge out there in the in the ocean this was a landing at a um, launch pad back at the launch pad and it's very clear 
and you can really see the the you know from a, a good vantage point you get the whole perspective of this thing this booster this first stage landing back on the on the landing pad now I think uh, so my advice for those who are who are watching this and of course you'll find it in the show notes here is to uh, listen to this or play this on your best sound system and turn the volume up because when rockets go up or in this case come down the the noise the the audio component of this is incredibly uh, incredibly powerful so uh, yeah you can Blow the speakers out with this, and you you know you'll really enjoy it. Aren't we, Max, as as airplane geeks and drone geeks, we are noise geeks too. We like the sound of jet engines. We like the sound of propellers. You know, there there's there's always a, an auditory com, component to um, our geekdom. Power, baby, power, power. We love power. All right. Well, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the UAV Digest. Find us at the UAVdigest.com. This is episode 397. Find links to all the articles we talked about as well as the videos that we mentioned. You can watch them right there on the webpage. And, of course, you can find us on social media, um, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, and on our Slack listener team. And you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com, and we'll send you an invite to join the Slack team. Likewise, um, you can always send us an email. We love he- hearing feedback from you or send us stories. Um, that way we don't have to do so much work during the week. But most of all, we want to say thank you for listening, next, and we will see you next week. This is David. And this is Max. Thanks for listening. <laughs>